This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day everybody, welcome to the show. I've got a killer conversation with Darren Travis, who is the guitarist and frontman in Satis. Now the compelling event behind our introduction is due to the launch of a new album from the group, this time through Nuclear Blast. It's called The Shadow Inside, and rest assured, it is an absolute cracker. One of the albums of the year, without a doubt. And we're getting to that point where I'm starting to think about these things. Throughout this chat, of course, we talk about the album, but we go deeper, much deeper, as regular listeners know. Get to the bottom of why Steve DiGiorgio, the great Steve DiGiorgio, was not on the album, didn't feature. His bass lines are absent. We answer that question, and whether or not Steve can return to the group, is the door still ajar? All that and much, much more await. I've selected a tune for your listening pleasure. It is titled Scorched and Burnt, but only if you've tuned in via the podcast apps. You good people on YouTube, you know the drill can't play music on the bloody platform. Either way, let's go. Yeah. 
Here he is. What's up, Andrew? Mate, <laughs> look, I'm going very well. How are you? <laughs> Good. Nice to see you. How's it going? Yeah, great. I, I love the fact that you got your guitar in your hand. That's awesome. Or is it a bass? I can just see the fret, top of the fretboard. There you go. Yeah. Nice work. Oh, nice work, mate. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Is that a dime special, that one? Washburn? Uh, ML. Just ML. Uh, gotcha. I think. I don't know. I don't know what they call it. <laughs> just a, it is a Dean, though. Yeah. Is that your uh, is that your main rig, that one there? Your main axe? Um, I used it on the album uh, this last time. And I also used this other one here. Let me show you. Got uh, Scott Barvnick. Uh, oh, look at that! Yeah, nice. SP V. He made me. Uh huh. I used that on the first six songs, and then uh, on the last, and then I got a hookup with the uh, Chris. Gate got me a hookup with this ML, and it fucking just rips, man. It's killer. But uh, the 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 SP Custom has a EMG81s and then the new Dean has a, the Fishman pickups, man. Those things are freaking I've got bad. two in my Strat too. Yeah, they are fantastic. Very sensitive. I never, yeah. I've always been EMG81, uh, you know, since 81. So, <laughs> um, no, so it was nice to try the Fishman. I really fucking dig it. Mm. No, that's sweet. Did you play bass on the album as well? Yeah. Yes, sir. How was that for you? Was that something that was – I know you played bass, and I've known that, but Steve's um, – oh, there it is there. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, Steve's a heck of a bass. It's probably the you know the most remarkable bassist in rock and metal. What's though. that? Steve. Following the Steve. Rick. Well, there you go, the Rick, yeah. You like that? Clunky? You like that sound? Oh, yeah. That's what, you know, that's all we've always had. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I find them challenging to play. I play a five, and uh, I've only picked one up in a guitar shop every once in a while, and um, their neck isn't fast, as you know, but they've got a lot of character. My hands are not the freaking monsters either, and, the, man, some of the stuff down here you know, when you go, freaking... It's quite the stretch. <laughs> it's good though. I, I, I like, really like the rig. Well, I, I can I can hear that now. I like the fact that you really dug into the groove there with the rig. Yeah, I actually I surprised myself. I was like, damn, I fucking had a really good time playing bass. I'd like to do it again. So I'm, I'm you know, you know, anybody needs a bass player. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> what, what about live, though? Do you think you'll be – have you made your mind up about which one you want to play live or are you just going to stick to the guitar? I have to play the guitar. I was thinking I would do the bass just so nobody would, uh, you know, just tear the person apart who's playing bass with us. You know, like whoever that person may be is in for a – I was like, maybe that should just be me. You know, I hate to put somebody in that position. Nobody can replace Steve DiGiorgio. The guy's a fucking monster. And, you know, for me to even try was enough, you know. And um, I, that's one of the reasons, you know, that I played bass on the, the Shadow Inside is just out of respect for Steve. He was He's just busy. And not that he, you know, 
he just didn't have time to to really write with us on the record so he felt left out i believe and and you know so out of respect for steve i played bass i would never bring somebody in and still call it sadist you know at the you know for this record i was like it's a comeback record and if for us to call it sadist it's got to be a duel it can't be i can't bring somebody in to play bass and um so i did my best <laughs> you did a great job you did a great job so in terms of touring and the like is and, and performing around town will steve potentially be part of that uh, the door's open you know if he's around and he's he's you know we're we're still freaking we're pros you know we've grown up together so it's you know i see him every once in a while and it's just like the same as always so if he's around but he's a busy guy so you know maybe we might have somebody help us out and uh who knows you know the i'm just going day to day i'm I, i'm just kind of tripping that i'm even got an album coming out in two days and it's gonna it's fucking blows my mind what, one day for us <laughs> one got... day ah <laughs> nice that's right so so what ins- what inspired the album title the shadow inside so the album title was like uh after like we, we did the we recorded all the songs and everything was kind of done. We were like, what are we going to call this thing? And there's kind of a thread through all the lyrics. It's like the, uh, it's like what's inside us. that makes us fucking make metal. It's what's inside. us. like, like for me, um, I haven't, you know, we all do. We, we live in a society with constant anxiety. Everybody's in a fucking bad mood. Everybody wants to freaking beat up everybody. And, you cut me off and you're a motherfucker and I'm going to fucking kill this motherfucker. Well, I come home and I grab the guitar instead of freaking beating somebody's skull. in. so that's my little outlet. And, uh, it has a constant that's that amongst, you know, that fire that we have inside us that you just really need to, as all us as hate to be, uh, but, but, you know, as males, we all have like, I'm sorry. We all have like, you know, uh, got to get that shit out. And it had a common thread of like, you know, the the devil in me, um, you know, those different feelings that we have that are, uh, they, it runs through the album, what I was feeling when I was writing. I mean, if you listen to the lyrics, um, I believe that you'll maybe understand what I was kind of going through at the time. Um, a lot of people like I'm doing interviews and and they're like, man, scorched and burnt. Do you like uh, do you like do because the world's on fire or <laughs> and it's a metaphor, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, it, 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 the world is on fire. You know, be, you know, we all. Oh God, these fires are going crazy. Everything's on fire. At the time I was writing it, okay, yeah, but it's also a metaphor for like what's happening to myself. You know, somebody freaking, you know, you have uh, issues with people, relationships, you were scorched and burnt. You were burnt also. So it goes both ways. So if you think about it that way and when you listen to the song, you're like, okay, it's not just about a fire. Even though there's fire at the end, that was John's idea. fire at the end. <laughs> yeah, cool, man. Yeah, I'll tell you what, album cover of the year, I'll hand it to you on that one there. Amazing. Cool. 
Yeah, we had we worked really hard on that. All three of us, uh, me, uh, me, John, and Trav, uh, we explained exactly what the the whole concept of the the shadow inside, like we were saying, the feeling throughout the record. It's like trying to think of what we're going to call this, but there is a th- a thread through it, and we're like, ah, the shadow. That's what I was like, and then John was like, the shadow inside. It's like, okay, yeah. And then you, it kind of goes right with the art, you know? So we were like trying to explain to Trav and he just came up with a great uh, concept and great, great, um, great art. And the guy's amazing. Yeah. Technical death and thrash seems to have a connection to images associated with the deep cosmos though. And I love the way you blended the thematic concept is to blend the skull, the very uh, underpinnings of us as human beings into the rest of the cosmos. I love the way you've done that. Thank you. Yeah, that was the whole like thing. It's like it's not just it's a feeling. It's not a and an entity. It's more like kind of represents the the feeling of trapped and and that that whole thing of somebody um having the different feelings inside of them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Did this in terms of your songwriting though, are these recent songs or have you had these for in the, the riff bank, so to speak? Yeah, so I got a, uh, when I first got an iPhone, I was like, what? I could plug my guitar into my iPhone? And I got one, I downloaded one of those apps with a, a full studio on it. And I was like, I have a, a, a then I got like Jam Up Pro with a freaking killer amp. And I would uh, get like a, pro, uh, not ProLogic, but just a, a little app on the phone and drum machine and i just started just writing riffs and that was kind of what inspired me like uh, about five or six years ago i wrote about like 60 songs on my on my phone and then uh it always sucks when you get it you put it on your phone and then you have to uh upgrade to a newer phone and then how do you transfer all that shit that you just wrote well i had like 60 songs and so i've been writing in the last so that's kind of why it's a variety of the albums, just like what I was going through at the time and how I was feeling mm-hmm. and uh, what I was writing on the, with the riffs, you know, and the vocals lyrics. Yeah. Uh, do, do the, you're one of the only people I think I can actually ask this question of does the songwriting dynamics. So your melodies, the scales you imbue within the, the riffs, that type of thing, the modes that you use, does that influence your lyrics? Do you understand what I mean when I ask that? I might have like a, I always more like would have an idea of maybe how a vocal pattern would go. I'd go, you know, this would work. And and that's kind of my problem is like, I almost sing too much because I'm like, this fucking riff is killer. And oh my God, I could put a fucking vocal on there and make it even better. And then every fucking riff has to have a vocal. So I'm killing myself out here, you know? But uh, that's kind of how I do it. If like I picture, I have the riff and then I'm like, I just picture like maybe how something can float over it or maybe it needs to attack on the, on the, on the syllable, you know, with the, with the punch or maybe go off the punch. Mm-hmm. Um, and just when you're writing um, or when I'm just thinking that and John too, he will throw that in maybe don't do it on the, you know, on the court, you know, do it off the court or, you know, so we like, just try to make it a little interesting that way. Yeah, you've always done that. You've always been very good at being able to do that. Yeah. What about 
were there any as we all get older we all start incorporating different elements as musicians different elements of other music into our sounds that we naturally have okay but did you did you did you intentionally try anything different this time around no it's like uh kind of we always had that uh i think uh, your question is like the, the variation of music like how it's Sure. How, how, it's not, how are you evolving? In other words, yeah, it's not just linear. It 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 rolls. It it, it travels. I want to yeah. take. I want it to. It make make it more interesting for the player and the listener. As in, uh, it's it's better if it takes you somewhere. And the fast stuff sounds faster. The heavier stuff sounds heavier. When you can emphasize on the way the vocal goes and how. I can emphasize and bring it to a, a higher level with a, you know, with the drums building as it goes. Um, it's at, <laughs> I lost my train of thought, man. But you're right. Oh, I get where you're coming from with it all. Yeah. I like the way the, you're the dynamics. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was just going like, it, that's kind of like what we've always been in, into and especially like when we go to practice, you know, you're not playing freaking just ah, all the time. We were like freaking burn a fatty and you're like, Oh man, I was just fucking zone out on some, some flange over here, you know? And so you start tripping and, and you're like, man, you really want to bring some of that into the flavor of the fucking brutality so that it makes everything just people. That's how we've always had it. Like, you know, you listen to crutch or, uh, some of the older material, even facelift, you know, mm. it starts to build back in the day, you know, we, that's just, we, we always tried to have a little bit of a, not just be linear, just, but, but travel, give the listener a ride yeah. and uh, have peaks and valleys. And, and that's kind of what we were thinking with the whole record. And at, at the end, I, I really wanted to incorporate some of that. That's what the track nine, um, new beginnings, uh, just threw that in there just to throw people where they're like, what the fuck is this? Or maybe, you know, some people will get it and they'll be like, just cruise with it, man. Just, just vibe. Hmm. Yeah. It's a great explanation of it. Yeah. I love, I love the way you talked about it being non-linear, that it's something that goes, has peaks and valleys and troughs and tabletops and you expect the unexpected. In other words, when it comes to status. I hope so. That's what I'm trying to do, but not too, not too much. Not even, you know, not to just do it just because mm. sometimes you do though. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What, what about uh, with the industry changing so much, especially even, I know the last album wasn't too long ago. Okay. Given the very long history of the band, but still with streaming platforms being as all pervasive is what they are these days. And no doubt you, you have a built-in audience. You've got a loyal audience, so they'll support you through physical product. But it won't be as much as, of course, as it will be, say, in decades gone by. So how do you see the album reaching your audience differently than past albums? And it was always just uh, word of mouth back then. Um, you maybe were lucky getting some zines. And uh, there was no internet. You know, well, 2006 there was. For the last record, of course, I, what am I thinking? But uh, back in the old days, you know, it was all about just word of mouth. And uh, then, yeah, the internet came. And then now I had somebody uh, 
well, people were telling me, you know, you got to freaking put, do some social media stuff. And I was like, fuck that shit. I ain't doing that crap. And, uh, eventually I had some people that were just hounding me to do it. Like you, you have to freaking, uh, represent. And I was like, all right. Um, so I, I, that was probably in 2017 or 18. I made a couple of things. So it, it gives up somebody, it gives you a platform at least, you know, to get the stuff out to everybody all the time. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. I really dig it. Um, I put stuff out there almost too much. <laughs> Sometimes I think it, you, it, there's the rule, you know, you don't ever throw, put something out there when you're drunk. <laughs> but you always seem to put something out there when you're drunk <laughs> or buzzed or whatever you're doing it's all right as long as it's, it, it, the, the only rule i think should be applied universally to any forward-thinking person is don't air opinions about politics and religion when you're drunk everything else is on the table because the problem is you just feel guilty the next morning or what have you if you wake up and you've argued with some idiot on twitter or whatever it might be but no i mean you, you probably get the same things that that people I like your first album, don't like your last album, <laughs> all this sort of stuff. And you, there's no point arguing with people like that because they're not along for the journey anyway, regardless. Right. Right. I don't really like scroll a whole lot. I would just like kind of just participate with a something like get something I'm doing, you know, more or less on the social media. But since like it was been pretty nice, uh, I have nuclear blasts helping me with yeah. all the all that stuff now. So I don't really participate too much i do like i on fridays most of the time i'm like okay i'll put something out on friday um but other than that i try to stay off it pretty much yeah yeah good strategy actually on that one there plus yeah, you know what metal fans are like we find the bands that we want to listen to and nuclear right. are, are about the biggest label there is around for metal bands these days, mate, and they've got a very strong social media presence and they can line up things like this through John and your your, your audience finds you, in my view. It's maybe 5% bigger if you went and did a personal social media campaign, but, I mean, yeah, I'm just putting a number out of thin air, but I don't think it would be much more than what you're doing despite all the extra energy and effort you'd have to put into it. Right. <laughs> yeah. What's your thoughts now on, on Out for Blood? It's... Uh, it's not 20 years, it's 17 years ago that album was released, but does it feel like it was yesterday? No. It feels like it was a pretty far long time ago. <laughs> it's kind of but only because I've had a lot of shit happen and you know recently. So it's like Yeah. It's been a while, man. But I love that record. I I fucking I'm, that's a fucking great record, man. I in my mind, at least. It's Some it. people don't like it. I know. But. Yeah, that's why I ask you about it. I've noticed some of the comments out there, and I think people misunderstand it because it's a it's probably your heaviest album. Certainly, it's very dirgy, isn't it? In other words, it takes you on a real trip right down through it, doesn't it? That's what we're going for, right? It's like want to have fun and freaking go places, you know, and with your art. So if you're just doing the same thing over and over it's not that interesting so we always would try to incorporate something some new aspect to make it fresh and uh some people just don't dig that man they're like fuck i just want to fucking 
<laughs> you know, yeah, there's a lot of people out there like that. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, I mean, we're known for it too. So it'll be just like, what the fuck? Just fucking die. And I was like, all right, but we're out of fucking, you know, gotta take you on a journey, man. Yeah, I know. I know. That's what it's about, particularly. And, and the other thing too is that. You've already you've released these killer albums like Swallowed in Black and A Vision of Misery, so they're always there. So if fans want that sound, they can go to those albums. It's a, and you, it's not like Out for Blood is heavier than the rest of your catalogue, in my opinion. So when you compare, it's it's parts of it are slower. Certainly, Steve's playing on it, it's magnificent. If people want the old sound, they can easily pick up Illusions and go right here. It is. It's not like you know. You're stopping them from picking up what the band was original, what what the band started out originally. Yeah, that's a long time ago, though, man. <laughs> it's yeah. almost been forty years. Freaking say this, that's crazy. Can't believe it. Do you look? Do you look back fondly to those early days? Oh, of course, everything. You know, it's fucking youth, man. We had a great time. It's awesome. What's a prominent memory from back then for you? Oh, man, we used to just fly by the seat of our pants, man. We booked shows at the Stone, and uh, back then you had to pay to play. So we would book a show at the Stone or Rock on Broadway in San Francisco, and we'd sell all the all our tickets around the corner <laughs> right before the show. And then you hand, like, freaking the the guys the money and it was it was it's all you know hard being a band a lot of lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of good times what's the greatest challenge you think you've had to overcome in all these years um i don't really know what to say about that challenge for music but we don't really is i guess my biggest challenge especially like for this it was uh just being on my own right and by myself usually i always have somebody that's like uh, to bounce stuff off of and for a long period on this on this uh record it was just me you know i was just doing everything myself and uh it was hard i think that was a big challenge you normally we would have you know a few people in in the room or, you know, you'd be playing or hatching out in the practice pad and, and, uh, everybody would put their two cents in and it'd be collaborative effort, but just being by yourself, you're like, I don't even know if this is, you know, you, you write some riffs and the next day you listen to it and you go, fuck that sounds like shit. <laughs> what were you fucking on? You know, then you don't have that person to say, no, man, listen, you could freaking change it up and, I got this beat, you know, or something, you know, you don't really know what you, what's happening until it's done. Do, do, was, do you prefer to have John next to you when you're sort of figuring these things out or do you back yourself a bit more these days? I mostly have like it pretty much, uh, dialed in at least these days, like exactly, you know, a good portion of the song. And then, uh, it may change though, or you may cut that, or man, that sounds like somebody, or you're like, I don't even know who that is. And he's like, you know, he'll tell me, you know, cause I don't really listen to a lot of music, but he's, he's really good for that. You know, Oh, this, let's change that riff because it sounds like something or that I might've heard or like, really. Okay. 
so yeah, he, so it's good to have that person. And that's like, goes back to the biggest challenge. You know, I'm just like, uh, I'm just fucking playing what I'm playing. All right. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. It's, it's hard not to think of Sadis and not to think of Steve though, too. So is it, is it possible? Of course it's possible, but how likely is it that you would team up with Testament and maybe open for them and have Steve playing bass on the tour? Uh, I wouldn't want to tear with Testament. Hmm. I mean, not, I mean, not to say that bad. I just, uh, we played with Testament a bunch of times and, uh, that's just not a tour I'd, I'd want to get on. I'll just say that. No vibe? What's that? No vibe? Like you didn't enjoy the vibe or something else? Uh, we had a writer. Nah, I don't know. It's no big deal. Um, that would be awesome, actually. I'll go with it. I'll just change my attitude and say, I would love to tour with Testament <laughs> and Steve. But, I, you know, okay. that would be too, yeah. too much for uh, for Steve to, to double duty, I think. I don't know. We're playing with Testament, actually, in uh, um, August of beginning of August on the festival in Europe. Okay. Testament's also on that. I'm not sure what day they're playing. So I'm not sure what's going to happen with the whole Steve thing, but I would, you know, the door's always open for Steve and, and, uh, he's a brother, man. He's a freaking monster. Hmm. But who, who would you, if you had your pick of any bands, Three bands. So you and two other bands. Who would who would you like to tour with? Money isn't an obstacle. There you go. And probably uh I like to tour with obituary. Mm. I like those guys. They're, we have a good time, man. <laughs> obituary. I like the DSI guys. I like uh um I like all, all Sepultura guys, man, Cavalera, um, uh, Creator guys. We have friends. Ah, it's, it goes, I mean, Cannibal Corpse. Um, all our friends are, I mean, I'm friends with everybody. It's been a lot of years, you know. I know just about everybody. So uh, I'm not really thinking that I want to be on a big tour, though, right now. I'm just going to get my feet wet, and then we'll see what happens. Like, you know. Have you played in Australia before? I have not. We're freaking pretty uh we sold a lot of records uh, back in the day in Australia. Where well, I was just telling somebody about that. Um yeah, some of four records you used to buy the shit out of the Illusions album back when we were just putting them in boxes. Nineteen eighty nine. We or, sold Eight, at least 8,000 records in uh, Australia, New Zealand area. Well, uh, semaphore records back in the day. Yeah, I remember your name being mentioned back in the day. It was, I didn't know where to go to buy this stuff, but there were, it was common knowledge amongst the musicians when you're starting out that if you wanted to get into the extreme metal bands that really had it going on, there was two. There was Cynic and Satis. Is that the impression that you you got as well from fans? Uh, no, not really. I don't know. I don't remember it that way. 
there are other bands, Cannibal Corpse, sure, Deicide, but in terms of just bands that had wall-to-wall musicianship without getting into that mathcore thing or that Denty thing, this is 1993, 1994. Before those other bands came along and Dillinger Escape Plan and all that sort of stuff, if you really wanted technical stuff, it was you guys and, and Cynic. I remember those days. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were just like, like I said, having fun and like, let's just change and make that one riff into four by just very, very subtle changes, you know, have each guy in the band, you know, you, you write one, I'll write the next one. Like uh, the end of Good Riddance, uh, we did that, like uh, every person had to to write, pick up the guitar. Okay, here you go. Pick, you you have it now. And what's your, how's it yours go? You know, and uh, then you just have the problem of how, how was, how did your riff go? After <laughs> <laughs> you're playing it, you said just the one. So yeah. that's, you know, people thought that was uh, being technical or whatever. I don't know just sounded like having fun to me with your instrument yeah. you know oh, i hear i i understand what, what you, i understand your perspective but when you're a young musician and you're trying to learn stuff and you're playing along and you to your point you've got to learn four different riffs in the space of about 30 seconds it tends to get labeled <laughs> that way <laughs> right yeah for sure <laughs> you know but you got to remember sure. it all especially uh you you'll understand understand this no doubt but i'll play covers you see and you uh, have to step into the shoes of the guitarist or the bass player whose music you're playing or performing. And in particular, it's more so with bass than guitar, I've got to say, but sometimes I play along to these bass lines and I think I can tell when they're they're a studio monster where someone's cut it apart and then put it together like a jigsaw puzzle or what have you because it's not linear. doesn't make sense for where it's going to. Musically it works, but there's a physical aspect of it as well. And I, I often think with, with bands like Satis, um, how would it be on a, a long tour would be okay, but if you just have these once-off shows, you must have to rehearse quite a bit beforehand, I take it. Yeah, it's almost not even worth it. You know, you got to go out for a while. Yeah. Just at least, you know, it's not worth, why would you rehearse for three shows? Yeah. So, yeah, it it usually, <laughs> that's it when it just stacks up and you're like, okay, you got to have to, you got to make it worth your while. And that's probably basically what's going to happen. So we'll see how it goes. How likely are you, do you think, or is the desire there to come down to Australia? Oh, of course. I would love to. Um, I have a lot of friends, so that would be great. I have a good time. Freaking be, hell yeah. <laughs> gotcha. All right, last words from you. What do you want to say to people about, about this album here? It's a cracker of an album fantastic artwork i'd love to see the t-shirt hint with the tour dates the australian tour dates on the back i'd buy that for sure no doubt but you've got a lot of fans out there that have been waiting for this album and you've got a lot of fans that are diehard supporters of what you're doing man i would say uh i can't believe that it's boom you know people still enjoy what we do and uh after especially after you know, a whole another generation of people. Seventeen years is a lifetime, and uh, I'm just appreciative that uh, the metal out metalheads out there. You know, they just we all love it. We, you know, we we want that freaking feeling, 
and uh, I appreciate that people enjoy what I do and freaking and they and I just hope that that you enjoy this record and uh and and feel like how I felt when I was writing it and uh and I I hope it helps people get that feeling so that they can uh, take out their aggressions in other ways so and that's what metal is about let's go to a show let's freaking all have fun together let's fucking pound it out instead of uh just being uh get your negativity out that way instead of uh and be nice you know when you leave a show after you leave a show everybody's got a smile on their face and that's what it's about fucking metal I agree. Thanks for keeping the flame alive too. Uh, life can tend to get in the way of these things, but you've stayed true to your muse and you've got a killer album here and I'm sure it'll reach everybody who wants to hear another killer status album. So there you go. Thank you so much, Andrew. I appreciate your support, man. Anytime, brother. Hopefully see you down here soon. I would be awesome. First <laughs> round's on me. All right. Thanks, brother. I'll take you up on that. Right. No worries, brother. Nah, sounds good. Catch you, mate. Have a good one. What a nice fella. I enjoyed that conversation with the great Darren Travis from Satis. He's been at it as long as anybody. One of the pivotal players in the evolution of extreme metal, it must be said. All right. If you enjoyed that chat, there are many more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com. And if you like Cradle of Filth, you're in luck because I've had plenty of chats with those ex, well, mainly ex-band members now. Not hard to say that, is it? <laughs> Given the band has almost 40 tenured band members. But, uh, yeah, a lot of deep dives there into what goes on in that group. If you're unfamiliar, check it out. Otherwise, heaps of conversations available. Other hallowed members of the extreme metal community, members of Death, Testament, Cannibal Corpse, Morbid Angel, need I go on uh, some newer stuff too, plenty of newer stuff too. Wes Hauk from Alluvial, he's over there. Would love to chat to Josh Travis from Amua one day. I noticed that they are touring Australia sometime in the new year, so I'll probably go along and check out that group too. Anyway, heaps of stuff over at the website. Go along and check it out. And I've also written a book, and I've got some more information to share with you about it in the moment. But before I get to that, I need to bid you a fond farewell. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I host the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it's a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the... I, 
of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silent Oz from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, 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 just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldiner. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.